I'm your host, the Getz. This is episode number 17. 17 for a kid. Coming to you live and direct from Oaktown, California. Riding high off New Orleans Jazz Fest 50, indeed. And we're so happy to be back here with you. The Up For Life Podcast. Super stoked for another episode and uh, really just floored by the response down in New Orleans. And since we've been back uh, to the podcast, to the articles, just to the work that I've been cranking out dutifully, uh, just been a very humbling and gratifying experience to have it all be received in such a way. And uh, I made a post about it on the social, but I just wanted to, you know, start the thanks uh, section of the Up For Life podcast, where I kind of just give a nod to an organization or company or group uh, essential to this thing that we do, this thing of ours, La Cosa Nostra. So, uh, going to be giving a lot of love to New Orleans and Jazz Fest and such, and uh, different artists and promoters and companies proud to be affiliated with several and uh i just wanted to give the thanks to the community itself give the thanks to uh everyone who's out there doing the damn thing and contributing their energy or their art or their vibe or has some sort of job or role in the whole wheel that turns so uh as a deep bow of gratitude to towards uh, the music community and the cultures that surround them. I'm going to stop talking for a few minutes here and let Kamasi Washington tell you how I feel, how he feels from about 5 a.m. at the Maison for Firepower. Deitch on drums, Tony Hall on bass, D-Vibes and Ivan Neville on keys, and the big man, Kamasi. Washington, saying it better than I ever could. Here on episode 17 of the Up for Life podcast, thanks to my man Randy Bears for that excellent video. You can find it on the Funkit blog on YouTube. Uh, so that's where we pulled that audio, and I'm actually watching while I'm talking just to kind of get in the jazz fest frame of mind. Roosevelt Collier in the mix, Joe Marcinick, Ski Rack, Maurice Brown. Shit got real. Anyway, I uh, wanted to play that for y'all as a uh, testimony and my th- 
gratitude and reverence for this community it enables me to create document and just immerse myself in such a way uh, and that's why we're even here at the helpful life podcast so big up yourself as they say and uh now we're going to transition to some of the feature uh articles excuse me feature interviews of episode 17 the Up for Life podcast, starting with Billy Ayuso, Billy Ayuso and the Restless Natives. from Billy Ayuso right there, tripping over dragons. Billy is a rock and roll troubadour, as I like to say. It's a cat I met on Jam Cruise a few years back, and I've uh, kept in touch, and I've, you know, been a fan of his and a listener, and somebody who pays attention to what he's doing and what he's up to. And he's a wealth of understanding and knowledge and perspective, um, and we touch on a number of topics uh, close to my heart and of interest to listeners. Uh, Certainly a bunch on our shared love for the Grateful Dead and maybe how we transitioned out of that being the dominant force in our lives. Um, We shared a little bit of that before we got into his path as a singer-songwriter guitarist back from the Brides of Jesus and the mid-90s when his friend Jaik Miller, and we talked about that uh, tragic passing of his friend Jaik and the late great singer-songwriter's influence on Billy and others. We touched a bit on uh, moving to New Orleans uh, by way of Athens, Georgia, and different affiliations that landed him in New Orleans, and how he sort of uh, was lucky to befriend George Porter Jr. and have a major friendship and sort of father-son, uncle-nephew kind of thing, and all the different avenues that that's manifested for Billy and George. Uh, Billy's work with Anders Osborne and, of course, his own Billy Ayuso and the Restless Natives gives us sort of the etymology of that band's evolution and his own, uh, you know, the albums that we run through. And I mean, it's pretty thorough. And then we get into a little bit about being a working musician in New Orleans during Jazz Fest and year round, making original music. A little bit, of course, about the discussion that we've been having. Uh, in the community about uh, booking over Jazz Fest and local musicians working and tribute shows and you know he thought he he really took the high road and just basically expressed uh, you know his own reality without uh, casting any shadows on anybody else and and that's because he's a gentleman and a solid cat and understands that you know we're all friends here and that uh, you know I just wanted to give him a platform for him and other local musicians to be heard uh, musically and perspective wise and maybe we can continue to work towards a happier medium that works for everybody so yeah i wanted to give him the opportunity to speak on that and i thought he did eloquently and poignantly and then uh we touched at the end on something i wasn't even expecting which is uh 
his own battle with prescription opiate pills, a demon that I personally share, shared, and I guess will always continue to share, because uh, it's, it's, it's forever, even if it's not today. So that was a sobering reminder, and even better, he chose to talk about his own experience using Kratom as a sort of medicated assisted treatment, something that I spoke with at length with Jeffrey Dupuy when he was on the podcast, and uh, was happy to hear Billy expound on his own perspective with that as well. So uh, without any further ado, as we wrap up Trippin' Over Dragons, uh, we give you Billy Ayuso, uh, live and direct from his backyard in uptown New Orleans over Jazz Fest 50, back uh, late April. This is the Upful Life Podcast. I am your host, B. Getz, and here comes Billy Ayuso. Yeah, and we're live here in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, kind of uptown, yep. and I'm real stoked to be here with uh, Billy Ayuso, local cat uh, from New Orleans, but Billy Ayuso and the Restless Natives. He's part of the extended uh, George and Meters family, and he's a good friend of mine for a few years now, so thanks for coming on the show. Oh man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. You know, I was thinking on the walk over here, about 20-minute walk from where I was staying. Um, and a beautiful how, day, too, huh? Yeah, perfect day for yeah. it. Um, and I was thinking about how we had met. It was on Jam Cruise. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just interesting to think, like, um, you're just with this one cat um, that I met on the boat. But in the five-ish years since then, you know, I've kind of you know gotten to know you through your music right and uh just thinking about how full circle it is i come back to new orleans which is really where this all began for me it was my first jazz fest in 2000 okay and uh i'm gonna sit here and talk to you and we're gonna you know kind of go through your career and it just kind of dawned on me just like how that's really magical about the music community is these relationships that develop the slow burn over time sure sure it's like um I mean, you really do kind of get to know everybody, even though you infrequently see them, you know, but uh, it is that tight-knit, and people talk, and I saw your boy, and, you know, right. like that and that, so it's uh, it's uh, it's cool, it's cool. I, re- I vaguely remember those uh, Jam Cruise meetings. Yeah. <laughs> Jam right Cruise on. is quite a blur. It's yeah. a it's a, a fun blur, but it's yeah. a, a fast-moving thing, so. No yeah. doubt, no yeah. doubt. And, it, and it's kind of, it was born out of, what goes on here there would be sure. no jam crews and the super jams and that whole I think community so. without jazz fest becoming what it was i think so yeah. yeah i think um you know i as a teenager i i followed the dead you know and uh, that scene and that was a traveling scene and then when i came to new orleans for the first time i was like wait a second this is very uh similar and parallel to to that but it's in one place so uh, yeah I, so i'm assuming this is kind of where it all started yeah <laughs> and yeah. so i've been told you know i've had a good i've had a bunch of good teachers teach me what's you know started here and happened here and, and how it continues to evolve so yeah man it's, yeah. it's interesting you draw the parallel between like the grateful dead uh you know universe and what's started here in it was destined to crash together i i believe yeah. that um you know when i first came here and, and people probably find this hard to believe but there were certain venues and i'm not going to name names that wouldn't book me because i was supposedly a deadhead band okay um and uh but you know that wasn't always true to form that was really i i came here 
as a fan of New Orleans music and uh, always respected that part of it. But I did have my dead influences and all that. So, um, but you know, it wasn't as dead friendly as what I was trying to say. When you, know? you got yeah, and uh, and all you know, somewhere in the two thousands, maybe maybe two thousand and four, two thousand and five, around the Katrina time, and just all of a sudden, like the music scene shifted and. And they all came together, and people realized, "Whoa, this is uh, this will work together." And now, look at it. I mean, there's dead everywhere. I mean, yeah. everybody. I don't know. I was thinking last night, how many dead songs are getting played on collective sets all over the city by different people? Now it's pretty amazing. So yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, um, and I kind of think of you often as as a local cat because you've been here a long time and you're super dialed. But you're yeah. actually from the Northeast, like myself. I, right? I'm from. Uh, I was born in Portchester, New York. Um, my mother remarried into the airline business, so I was kind of a br moved around like an army brat type situation. I lived in Texas and Florida. And then I finished my high school in Connecticut, where my dad was living at the time. I met, and so I springboarded from there to, you know, Rhode Island, and then I moved, did the New York scene with my bands and stuff. And then I eventually moved everything to Athens, Georgia, where I was there for about three years, and then I came here. So it was, uh, I was always going where the music was. I, Providence was a college town, so I was able to survive as a musician. It wasn't big enough there for me, so then I moved to Athens, Georgia, with the the widespread people were kind of put me under their wing at the time. And then, uh, you know, and then after about three or four drummers, George Porter was like, you know, like, dude, you ought to move to New Orleans, where we have a lot of drummers. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, ha I was recently broken up with a girlfriend, and so I said, yeah, I, I did it, and it was 96. I moved here, so. So it was a year after Garcia died. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I wanted to kind of ask just how did that happen for you? Because I, I was lucky. I got to see a little bit of Grateful Dead before Garcia passed. But I'm a couple years younger than you. Um, I started seeing them at 92 till the end. I started, um, I think it was 84 in Worcester. It's my first show. My father's a deadhead, so I was already familiar with it. Like I told you earlier, I moved back with to live with him. And when I did that, I was kind of from like the Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin type world. And then when I moved to that back to that area, the kids I started hanging with were deadheads. And knowing my dad already knew it, I was already familiar with the music. And I was like attracted to the scene. So that kind of what, how it fell into place. And I mean, I did it up. I mean, I went from... I know... From 87 to 89, I saw every show, you know, wow. so like I saw a lot of shows. Those were busy years. They were busy years, yeah. yeah. I mean, in living in the Northeast at the time, you know, they would come four times a year and play within five-hour driving distance, you know, I don't know, you know, 15 times every season. Right. So you could stack up your shows, and I saw a lot. I got to the point where I was almost, I think kind of the way when Brent passed, and Jerry kind of lost interest, and I know that's kind of been documented, right. uh, kind of. And, and for me, I felt the same way. I, I was looking for something else, and that's what started. I started peeking towards New Orleans. Little Feet kind of hit me to okay. meters and all that stuff, and I led in that direction. And I got more into that, and when I did that, I formed Brides of Jesus, which was really a funk, a jam band, like what everybody's kind of doing now. We were doing it in the '90s, and we were, there weren't. There were bands out there, but, you know, there weren't as many. There was, you know, the Jupiter Coyotes and the, you know, Solar Circus and all these bands, you know, like, but, you know. There was a scene, though. Moon Boot Lover, right. and, you know, like those bands and stuff. And so, yeah, there was a scene, but it was it was a lot smaller. You know, there was a lot more work. Um, and, uh, you know, there were, 
Also, the DJ thing hadn't exploded yet, so the frat bar parties were still pyre right. bands. So that was funding your tours. You know, you right. were going to play a frat to make the money, and then you were playing three club shows to, you know, for your head. So right. But you know, always follow the music, and that's what why I'm here still. You know, I mean, that's kind of I'm. This is the epicenter for it for what I do. You know. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. You know, around the time when Brett passed, and. Uh, you know, Garcia's interest waned, so did yours, because that's kind of, you know, and I, I'd love to probe lots of dead stuff, but I really want to talk about you. Yeah, yeah. But I just wanted to. Me too. To, <laughs> I'd rather that too. <laughs> we'll just, we'll skip it then. We'll, we'll, uh, no, no, go ahead. I want to uh, hear what you guys say. I just wanted to know, like, uh, did you sense, like, because all of a sudden it's stadiums and this just became this super commercialized thing, and you, if you started going to 84, you probably saw it yeah. really evolve like that. And that's yeah, I kind of got the tail end of the, of the good stuff, and then... Uh, the stadiums were definitely a big turnoff for me. Um, and as a musician, as I got more professional in what I was doing, I like to see it from a musician perspective, and you really lose that in a stadium completely. I mean, you know, and to this day, I still watch bands from the side of the stage just because my ears like it better. It's like, right. it's my world, so. Um, yeah, it, it, it changed, but I also changed. You know, I was, I was sitting there going, man, I'm buying tickets to these guys gigs all the time and I want to play music so and it was pop you know that New York scene with like we mentioned it was rolling and so it I kind of just got on board and you know I I bailed on college and I just put band together and kept rolling yeah I mean I I'll say um, with regard to that I remember reading relics magazine around that time and seeing coverage of the bands you're talking about like remember the name of your band I don't yeah. know that I ever yeah. heard you because it wasn't like the internet where you could just go click and hear right. it was to get a CD or send away or yeah. go to the you know Johnny Woodstock worked in the little head shop in my hometown so oh really I didn't I know that a lot of music through there cool yeah we'll talk about that off the air sometime but yeah, yeah. he's like a, a dude deadhead dude from my youth yeah, yeah dude I mean when we started we were we would you know I was pretty gung-ho you would still have to call the clubs book the stuff and then right. you know every month mail out a print a little flyer like to your fans, right. you know, licks, and we'd are. get sit around as a band and lick stamps for a, right. you know a day and <laughs> mail this stuff out. It was cool, you know, it was a cool scene. But yeah, and, and we talked about that right when we first met because I had mentioned, you know, I used to see pictures of a young Warren Haynes wearing the Xanax Twenty Five sure. shirt. Yeah, and you told me that that was your late friend Jaik's uh, band. Yeah, Jake. And he was yep. a he was like a real force of nature in that scene. You heard of him be spoken of like in a Know, passionate ways by fans for many he, years he was just a real creative uh cat he was um he had this manic you know he was very manic and he like just um had this personality you couldn't turn off and and you know you either loved him or you were just like oh my god you know this guy but he he could write songs and he had this just sensibility for melodies and uh you know that i we did shows together in the 90s and then we didn't reconnect until the internet which was cool and uh we reconnected and he was kind of doing his own thing and i was coming down here and he was like i want to come visit so he did and that's what led to me writing tripping over dragons with him in this house you know right where we're at now and um that was kind of he kind of got me back on board i mean he definitely inspired me to get back to doing what I wanted to do because uh, I had I had taken a little break and I was tour managing for the meters and the Nevels right. and stuff and I just wanted to get back into music and get my head back into what I actually was I was I had come down here and was partying and took some great jobs and that was like an education I loved it but 
my passion was playing music and until I got back to doing that I wasn't me so right. and he really inspired that and I have met so many people since he's gone that have had the same interaction that he had brought that out of him and I mean I know people like Warren Haynes and Suzanne Vega and all these people have covered his music over the years and and he's still relatively completely unknown but he yeah. has this catalog of music that's incredible yeah I remember so. reading about him back in the day yeah and hearing about him passing and you know seeing one of written a commemorative thing on the, on the web once or twice yeah time. yeah he was a big part of it and we wrote a lot of songs together he left me a few in my computer after he was gone wow. that were just like you know of course i was going to get to him at some point but when he passed i went looking for him to find him and they're on my records now and he was always in touch with the other side which is weird he was always kind of thinking he was going to leave early it references it a lot in his songs and stuff and He's still around. I, I, not many people playing his music, so I, I'm pretty committed to continue to play a couple of his songs a night. So yeah, that's beautiful. Man. Yeah, he was a big part of my music career. So right on. Yeah, yeah. I, I got that from him, so I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, for sure. Go through the history. Yeah. Um, so uh, from that period of time, Brides of Jesus, you moved to Athens. You said and yeah, you know, under the widespread ring, and did you kind of immerse yourself in? Because Athens at that time was also a like bustling yeah, it was jam. Metropolis. It was it was fun, man. It was a really fun town to work in, and you know, and um, and bands for Athens, you know, you kind of people would book them, you know, so they were popular on that little southern circuit. It was centrally located, so you could go to Tennessee and North Carolina one weekend, and then head to Alabama the next weekend, and Florida the next, and you just keep working, and it was it was a blast. But it was it was too small once again for me. I I just kept. Um, it, it all goes back to the drums, man, and that's, I mean, I'm always looking for a drummer to satisfy my needs musically, and I've always paired up with drummers. I had Russell Batiste and Willie Green and now Eddie Christmas. It's kind of, that's the most important part for me, so that's, once again, why I just got too small. I'd already used all the good cats in Athens. Right. I started fishing in Atlanta for guys, and but it was a different style. I was looking for these guys down here, and that's, you know, that's why all roads led south to here. Yeah, there's nothing like New Orleans drummers. No, sure. there's that. That's the one thing you know. I mean, there's great horn players and everything and all that, but for me, it was the drummers. It was the drummers, and then, then the bottom end that follows it, the bass. You know, right. so it's yeah, it's strong here. It's real strong. <laughs> right on. So, yeah. uh, when you released the Restless Natives record, mm -hmm. um, was that in New Orleans or were you still in Athens? No, I was in New Orleans. I was in New Orleans. Yeah. Okay, so. Let's talk a little bit about that. You're in New Orleans. You're kind of immersing yourself in the culture. You're meeting people. You're trying out drummers. Yeah. Um, and you're lucky to be befriended by some legends and stuff. How did it come together where you said, like, yeah, I'm going to go for it down here again? I mean, when I, w it all goes, I was working, like I said, for the meters and stuff, and I was t tour managed. I was busy, and I was working for George, the Nevilles, and the meters in a time when they were really working a lot. And I just was, I was getting run down. I was... Um, I was doing a lot of after-hour partying and uh, things that really weren't my best of interest, I guess. You know, I just really should move on from that. And I just was like, and I realized the source of it was just because I was standing on the stage. It didn't matter that I was standing next to one of my favorite bands. It just still wasn't enough for me. And I made the, the you know, and Tara's a big part of this. My wife, it was, I had to tell her, like, you know, <coughs> are you ready to be broke again? You know, are you ready? Because... 
if I do this, and she said, whatever's going to make you happy and, and bring us back in, because we were just about to have children, and, you know, it was like, it was an important part. And so I, I decided to just come back to doing what I do and uh, pulled some songs together. And just, if that first Restless Natives album has a, you know, it doesn't have, you know, I think only Mike Burkhardt is the only guy that appears on that album that's still in the band. I kind of pulled together from people, and it evolved. Um, but that was definitely the first, um, you know, that was the first movement towards doing my own thing. And I found out, you know, quickly after a couple of years of being out of the touring thing, when I was calling clubs, they're like, who are you? Right. And because I was with Under Brides of Jesus for so long, they, that's all they knew. Right. So I want, that's why I put my name in the front of it. And that was really it. And Restless Natives, the name came from. That was going to be a Brides of Jesus album that never came to be. So that's where I made that into the band name. And it kind of fit down here, and it all fell into place during Katrina. It was like, you know, it, it, so it's, and it's lived. So we just keep it rolling now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great name, and I like the acronym BURN. And, yeah, uh, me too. I just wanted to ask, uh, so in essence, Restless Natives is, is whoever your band is at the given time. It's not specific cats yeah i'm pretty loyal and i've had guys i mean you know mike's been with me for almost 20 years eddie's been with me for 10 um you know so it's it it does evolve and it does change i mean it's just the nature of the business i mean people get better opportunities or they decide they're not going in the same direction or whatever it may be you know that's just the reality if you want to keep working you you've got to be able to evolve and change and um but pretty much everybody I've worked with, I'm still friends with, and uh, you know, it was just a change in our time and stuff. And right now, the band is super organic. It just fell into place. Like everybody who's in it is just kind of been either been there or they just fell into it and haven't left. And it's been, have been a blast. I mean, we're really enjoying playing with each other. I think that uh, we're just having a good time, and it, it shows in the music. You know, I, I have a catalog of music, and it just needed the right people to portray it to make it feel for other people you know not i always felt passionately about my own music but i didn't know if i could portray that to the crowd i think now with the people and players i have it's getting put out there the proper way so right on that doesn't yeah. happen overnight you get you gotta no, really no, find sure the guys doesn't. and then you gotta make it happen with them over a long yeah, period of time you know people forget there, there's some bad cats out there who can play you know great but if you don't click on an organic level or like like each other or something there's still always something missing so and I think this band and I'm speaking maybe they all hate me <laughs> but uh, you know that we like each other we all like each other and so you know it, we're having a blast I mean Reggie Scanlon joined about two years ago and we can't get rid of him <laughs> and I you know that just came out of nowhere I asked him if he wanted to fill in one night he's like yeah he called me the next day he says I love your music man I said well you want to keep playing with us he's like sure so that's it you know and uh you know Brad Walker was playing sax and um but he's he got busy with other big names and went off and did that and Sage fell in and Brad was the one who suggested Sage and she's just been a joy to have around and it's really nice, man. You know, it's really nice. And then having my old partners, Eddie and Mike, are just like, you know. And we also have Drew Mees on the second keyboards now. I, I've been adding second keyboards when I can afford it because it's uh, a part of my music. I like the two keyboards. Right on. Yeah, it sounds like you sort of rounded into a well-oiled machine. Um, yeah. And you said you got loyal cats, so they're probably fairly invested in the music, too. I think so. I think they enjoy playing it. And, we've you know, we've been together a long time. And... 
we built up relationships so we we try to find the way to work with each other still but everybody has their own thing i mean you know sage plays she's a regular in johnny sketch and reggie of course from the radiators and all that stuff and mikey the keyboard player he, he's got his own band mikey b3 which is starting to get more popular and uh eddie christmas is moonlighting with the suspects and stuff like that so everybody's busy but we try to pull it together to do it this way as much as we can right on yeah, yeah. it was uh be remiss we talked about the gd and we're talking about new orleans and you can definitely hear especially in the earlier stuff like uh your worlds colliding and even like when you're you know doing your take on the other one sure. you know, it's kind of informed by the fact that you live here and uh and then i'd be remiss if i didn't ask about reggae because reggae is such a huge part of your dna and i was just curious maybe how that came into your universe and and you know how you put that out into your sort of mystic brew um I mean, reggae for me was just, it was a love affair just like the dead. It was a real important part. Came at me at about the same time period, you know, 13, 14, 15. I started here li really listening to reggae. And mostly just, you know, the Bunny, Bob, Peter, Pulse, and that's about it. I was pretty strict. And then um, somewhere in my late teens, early 20s, I went to Jamaica and uh, fell in love with it. I just fell in love with the island, the people, everything about it. So I've continually, I've been there, I don't know, maybe close to 20 times now at this point, and I'm looking at property down there and stuff like that, and I have a nice core group of friends down there, and so I, I really enjoy it, but the reggae thing is, it's it's sacred, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not for me to play, you know, I play, you hear reggae in my music, of course, because it's there, yeah. but, and music and is for... On, you know, oh yeah, I rep yeah, yeah. I love it. I mean, I do. I love the culture. I love the Rastas, and I'm not. You know, I would never say that I'm a Rasta. I'm not. I'm just. But even when I go down there, they all call me Rasta. But I'm not a Rasta man. You know, I've I, I've been in Babylon too long. <laughs> but uh, you know, I love it, um, and it's a big influence on me. It's pretty much all I listen to. You know, when I choose the music, I'm going to listen to it's reggae. Um, yeah, the Ziggy concert on TV when I walked yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. I, today I was like, I'm just put some YouTube concerts on and watch them. Uh, nice day off. <laughs> so, right yeah, yeah, it's a big part. I mean, in my family, we go there. We go two or three times a year, and like I said, we almost bought a house like two months ago. And then, you know, when you're buying a house in a different country, there's a lot of things that go could go wrong. So we kind of backed off of this one. We're still looking, and I plan on spending you know good three or four months out of the year down there eventually oh, that'll be a good life man yeah back and forth are you gigging down there when you go down i have i have i've played down there a few times i also did i played down there once with government mule on um, whatever their island exodus you know and anders and i um but i and i do a couple solo gigs down there uh, i haven't been able to work the band down there yet because it's just logistics and money but i have done a, three or four acoustic gigs down there yeah Right on. Um, you just mentioned Anders, and, I, and you talked about having been working for the meters. So yeah. um, I wanted to maybe ask a little bit about those experiences. Like you've, uh, from time to time, played with George, running partners gig or mm -hmm. different collaborations. And for a while, you were a second guitarist with Anders. Yes. Um, let's talk a little bit about, like, those aren't your bands and your gigs. We've been talking about your band. Like, what's it like stepping on stage with a local legend like George or Anders and, and how you approach that? Well, I mean, for me, that's, that's a role that's like, um, I don't have a big ego, musical ego at all. I'm, I, I, I know what I can do and what I can't do, and I find my way. I use my ears 
And so I think that's what makes me attractive to other players sometimes in that level. Because it's definitely not my skill set. There's cats here that can just roll through me on a guitar, you know. But I am I'm real conscious of other people and I can play off them well. Um, so that's kind of, I just kind of, you know, find my holes and, and do that. Um, with Anders, I think that was kind of the stage where he was delving into the, the world of the dead and the psychedelic and he knew that I knew that world. And um, so, and, but that was a collaboration that came out of nowhere. We had known each other for like 20 years. We didn't really hang, nothing. We didn't, you know, we'd play a couple gigs together here and there, but we didn't hang. And I sat in one night and the next day he called me and said, you want to play in the band? And I was like, sure. So I did that for a few years and <clears throat> we did a, you know, Dead Feet and other things like that too together and that was real cool but the George thing that's always changing that's like that's a different thing George is kind of like my New Orleans dad you know or older brother whatever you want to say and he's we've had so many different relationships I've been his tour manager I've been his opening act I've been his band member I've been his friend you know I, so it's a it's an interesting relationship and it's always evolving I mean I played with him two, for the last two nights and you know, we had a fun exchange last night, and it was, uh, yeah, I just, I, as I went home, I'm just like, it's always different, and it's, you know, so I just, with George, I just try to keep up. Right. <laughs> it's I mean, amazing how much he plays and how hard he plays. My God, I mean, he's got to take a break, man. I don't know how he does it. He wears me out. I just watch him. I get wear, worn out. Right? Yeah. I tried to follow him. The one year I was uh, hired for Jam Cruise as an artist at large, I, you know, I'm, and use George. A lot of us do use George as an inspiration here. Like as far as, you know, how do we do it? And how you know George does it? Let's do it like that. You know. So, um, you know, I said, well, I'm going to follow George at Jam Cruise. I'll try to sit in with as many people as George can sit in. You know. Right. Boy, and I was exhausted. Man, he kicked my ass. <laughs> I bet. Man. I don't doubt it. Yeah, it's just seeing him down here is just it's uh, uh, he's astonishing. Insane. He's insta He's insane. He's a uh, he's a force of nature, man. He's a good guy to have as sort of, you know, your your New Orleans uncle or dad or whatever. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's kind of gotten me, uh, you know, it's great to have him, but I, I'm sure there's been people in the scene that have been like, oh, yeah, damn, Billy, he's under George's wing, you know, or whatever, but, um, you know, he's great, and, uh, I mean, it goes way back. His wife was the one who sent me newspapers, you know, with circle departments, you know, oh, before wow. I lived here. I mean, I've, yeah, right. I, this is like, you know... There's a picture of him in my living room, and I walk in his living room. And there's a picture of me on his wall, the same picture. It's like so, yeah. We're 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 pretty tight. I I, I love him dearly, but uh, I can't keep up with him. <laughs> I don't know too many people can. Maybe no, Terrence, but that's about maybe it. Terrence. Yeah, right. Well, you know, you've had the privilege of working for George and the Meters, and, and yeah, and playing with Anders and those guys. You know, they're bold font names. You know, they've been sure. in town a long time. They made their phones, um, but. You know, artists that aren't that, you know, celebrated or quote-unquote successful, it's not exactly the same tune. No. Um, and that's something that you've, you know, spoken about and posted about. Sure. Specifically, uh, you know, being a working musician and, and on original music. You know, yeah. Trying to get opportunities. <clears throat> not even specific to Jazz Fest right away, just talking in general. Because um, you listen to your records, you know, from, from Naked, mm -hmm. Trippin', and... Uh, overstanding, which I love, that's a Rasta term, you know, it's yeah. great. But that you can hear your sort of evolution, and, and now we know that you're married and you're having kids, and there's all this real world shit happening, sure. and you need to get paid. Yeah. Um, and, and that is not exactly uh, smooth sailing all the time. No. And it comes out in your music. 
you know, because oh. you're a rock and roll troubadour. I always say that whenever I <laughs> talk about you or write about you. You're really like a you know guy lives living the sort of uh, ups and downs of the working musician. Yeah, and singing about it. I'm blessed though. I mean, it's it's been you know. I mean. I, I always tell people I'm the richest poor person you're ever going to meet because I mean I live like a rock star, but I, I, you know I'm down to earth. I got pennies sometimes in the, in a bag going to the grocery store, you know. So I know what it's like to use Coinstar. You know what I mean? Um, Me too. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why we get along, bro. <laughs> But yeah, like, and then for me, I'm I ride the rails, you know, because I can play with George and those, get it. I can get my name booked right next to him, you know. I share a billing with him. But then on the next level, you know, I'm not a shoe in for Jazz Fest every year. I'm not a shoe in for the French Quarter Fest every year. You know, I I got to work to get those. So yeah. it's um, yeah, it is hard. It's hard. But the the the, the climate has changed. I mean, this this new cover band sensation thing is really just like, and I. I love playing other people's music. I've done it my whole career, but yeah. you know, like to, the audience is so hard to get out for an original band. I mean, you know, for example, you know, cats in my band are getting noticed for bigger bands that they're in, and people are coming to me. So you ever seen this guy? I'm like, this guy plays with me for yeah. 20 years. Yeah. That's because they've never come out to see what I do originally. They see me with George or with somebody else. So it is a struggle to get them out for that, you know, and they're missing out because that's the stuff we all work on like right. you know when we're shedding and rehearsing we're working on our stuff we're not working on everybody's version of fire on the bayou or whatever you know that's right. that's a jam right. and th there's magic in those jams too but there's also magic in the stuff that we work on and it is very frustrating at times but it really is up to the audience you know i mean if they're not buying the tickets they're not buying the tickets right. the club owner's not going to book it and blah 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 and it goes down the line um you know you could try to put blame elsewhere and say that it's artists coming in and all that but that's true to a point but somebody's given them those dates like right. the you know and we'll get to like jazz fest where it's condensed even more and um you know somebody's renting that room to the outside promoter and of course the outside promoter is going to bring in the bands that he works with all the time because that's the way the hustle works right. and they found out that there's a hotbed down here in april last week april and may in first week of may so you know it it's it's up to us as a community to save what we do um and we can't do it by ourselves i mean so it, it has to be something where we all pull together and try to make it happen but i I always try to make sure I get at least two or three gigs with my band, you know, right. and, and if I have any pull where I can say, please, I want to use my band, I don't want to do it this way, I try to do that, but, you know, don't get me wrong, I love playing with the other stuff, too, it's, it's a, you just, I've learned I just kind of got to balance it now, and that's the only way to survive, but it, it is tough, it is tough, and there's a lot of, you know, I'll go from, and this is pretty candid, I mean, I'm just going to say that, like, you know, I'm going to go from the end of May till probably mid-July before I work again you know so and and that's just because my side guys are working elsewhere or you know and I can't string together enough dates you know I could maybe go do a weekend here and there but that's the right. reality of what we do at this level so you know I have a very supportive family which is great my you know my wife she has her own business so you know and the house is paid off so it's you know we just eat some mac and cheese for a little bit and we'll get back to i dig too <laughs> well, you know and i i want to you know i'm an out-of-towner right and uh, no secret i'm and, an out-of-towner uh, too right originally right. but but just with what we're talking about with regard to bookings uh -huh. and stuff and 
again, I like to think about things like full circle style. So I came down here in 2000 for the first time. It's my 17th Jazz Fest out since 2000. And the reason I came down is because they announced, I was unfamiliar with New Orleans. I was 20 years old. Right. And uh, I'd been here once on fish, when fish came through in September of 99. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, my point is what got me down here was uh, they booked Les Claypool, Trey, and Stuart Copeland as the first Oysterhead show. It was I remember like the that. first Superfly Super Jam at the Sanger. Yep. Ironically, it was also the first Garage Etois show billed as that. They opened, and they, um, real talk, they blew Oysterhead off the stage. Mm-hmm. And they played before men, and it was totally unfamiliar music, both bands, right? Right. And, and since then, I've been lucky and privileged to come down here, like I said, 17 times for Jazz Fest, and I've watched the culture morph, change, evolve, whatever it is. Sure. It was a special occasion the super jam the big tribute there was one or two every year you know when i started coming here but the reason we came here was because to see george at jimmy's or the leaf sure and and see rebirth and yeah that that's why i went back and told all my friends uh we got to go to jazz fest next year and now we're doing it all these years later still so i gotta say that i feel as somebody who comes down here and enjoys that as an out-of-towner there's a certain culpability as you mentioned as i'm an audience Mm -hmm. and where am i going and where am i spending my money right and i'd have to say it's it's not 50 50. yeah and and that's something that you know i want to be a part of evening the balance yeah because it's not It's, it's definitely changed completely on that end and uh and you have to i mean i'm just I don't know how to put it, but I've just evolved to try to survive. But you're right. It, it's it's less less of that now. And I mean, even to the, I'm everybody's feeling it. Even oh, yeah. even the you know the George Porters and the Rebirths and that they're feeling it too. I mean, they're you know they're having to work in other situations and instead of people coming to see the running partners or right. the you know, and um, but I don't I don't know. There's got to be a happy medium. It doesn't have to be one way or the other way. Um, I agree. I agree, and I, I, I don't. Like I said earlier, I, don't, I think that everybody's got the right to make their hustle. You know, whatever they need to do to make it work. Um, and uh, and I appreciate the, all the musicians. You know that love coming down here and playing with everybody. It's awesome. You know, we, these are our. You know, it's a touchy subject because these are people you work with all year round that right. are your friends, and you you know you respect what they do too, but. You know, there's also a little like, hey man, this is my city. <laughs> you know, like I went from 14 gigs, you know, in two weeks to, what do I have six this time? So you know, and I I'm pretty happy with what I have this time. I'm actually last year I think I only had three. Right. You know, so. No, I think it's an important issue. We talked about it with Derek Smoker when he came on the show, and you know, there's been a lot of discussion in the Jazz Fest group we have on Facebook mm-hmm. about it. And I and it's not about pointing fingers and stuff it's about like solutions like i want to see you win and i want to see everyone who still comes down here enjoying themselves and coming back but not at the at the cost of like losing the culture because we're not coming you can't do this anywhere else. i don't i don't think people realize and i I, maybe this is you know but literally for me when i'm doing my taxes at the end of the year jazz for april was a third of my income all year and now it's not even close to that you know right. so that was how important those two weeks were that's why you have this mentality where people take 17 gigs because this was our time to get our money at, right. so we can make it through the summer because 
if y'all never been here in the summertime man it's you know it gets pretty slow it's it's a pretty slow it's a it's a cool vibe i like it i mean i'm so used to it i love it it's just but it's like i guess it's like the northeast winter you just kind of live inside and you know i watch baseball (laughs) you're a mets fan yeah i am yeah we won't we won't talk baseball okay well you're a phillies fan so you know let's keep it along pretty good yeah let's let's keep it that way Right on, man. Well, I hope that uh, just by listening to this, maybe makes some people think. Yeah, it's and, not. It's consider. I like the the fact that, and people misread it on social media and everything. It's just we're just talking. You know, we're just expressing right. our honest opinion. You like, you know, uh, people buy us because they like the honesty of our music, but they don't want us to be honest on social media if they don't agree with it, and that's wrong. I'm sorry, but that's right. the way we feel, and you know. Um, and we're, you get hurt. we're pretty welcoming here. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 th- I think <laughs> I think we're pretty damn welcoming. So, yeah. you know, and it's it's we want everybody to come have a good time and everything. So, but we we also want to show off what we do and what what we've been working on and shit like that. So, you well, speaking know. of uh, show off what you do and what you've been working on, you got a a fairgrounds hit on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, what stage are you on and what time? A lanyap stage at five twenty. I love the Lanyap. I've been there many times already this year, and it's a sweet little setting they, away they, from the madness. Yeah, they they um we were playing at the middle of the day when the Stones were playing, and you know um but then they moved. They have us closing now the Lanyap, which is nice. Um, once again, we're up against widespread panic, but that's okay. Uh, yeah. That I've I've done that before. We it seems like the last two times I played fast panic's been on the other stage. Just but it's all good and. Yeah. Uh, there's enough music to go around. Um, I'll be at your set longer than Panic, that's for sure. And I like Panic, they're cool. But well, they I'm got a long set. You can do both. You know, they got a long set, so you can actually hear both of us, no problem. So, um, but, yeah, we got a nice little set. I, I kind of went through the songs and uh, tried to pick a couple gems from every album. Cause Even I'm, Restless Natives? Uh, I believe there is one on there from that. I'm pretty sure there is, yeah, right yeah. We're going, so and um, touch and, them all. Yeah, and I and I'm gonna have um, the regular band, and uh, we're gonna have a, probably an added horn or two just for the songs that with the horn section parts, because you know it is jazz fest and all. So of course, yeah. yeah. So it's gonna be a good set. I'm I'm super excited. I've been playing gigs for this week and it's been wonderful. I've had a blast, but I still haven't played my band yet. So our first hit is jazz fest, so it should be pretty cool. Right on, and, and you got uh, a little bit of press and some attention when you put out a record in 2018. And yeah, some stuff about. Mm-hmm. So, uh, is that going to be it for a minute, or you see yourself going back in the studio? I've been stuff? writing. I definitely have been writing. Um, what was the name of the 2018 record? Home, uh, Home by the Sea. Home by the Sea. Yep, um, and that goes back to my love for Jamaica. I kind of wrote most of it there. I wrote a couple songs in Italy and then in Jamaica. I was traveling and uh, I wrote all the album, but. Uh, it, it, you know, I would love to do another album in this changing environment and with the budgets we have. I'm just trying to figure out a way to present it. I think at this point I'm leaning towards just releasing song at a time, yeah. um, digitally for for a little while, right. and then maybe compiling it on something. And uh, you know, I've been doing this a long time now. Maybe I can put a greatest hits with some added bonus tracks or something at this point too to get us something to give away. But yeah. it's really the it's. At this level, without a record company and stuff, I'm just trying to feel out if I want to go throwing down another, you know, fifteen thousand dollars to make right. a record. 
that there's no retail I have a closet for them, right. uh, uh, full of them, you know, and people are buying it. It's just it's not the format they buy. Right. But you got to have them. You know, peop- the loyal fans always buy them. They they want you to sign it and, you know, so that's why I buy a couple right. thousand just to have them, but it's a changing thing. So I don't know how to, to get the intention. I'm I'm noticing people are doing a lot of song drops, so I'm thinking right. maybe I'll do that, and that's more cost efficient for me. It's yeah. more realistic. It doesn't take a big chunk out of my pocket at a time. So, yeah, no, but I am writing, and I and I'm I'm getting better at it. So I don't want to stop. Yeah, yeah. Of course, you're always evolving. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, an evolution, you can hear the eras of your life, like what you're living through what your perspective is is like really you can read and hear it in the different albums you know mm. overstanding you kind of just got through some shit and are just kind of taking a deep breath but I felt like Home by the Sea there's a peace there's like a tranquility there's a sort of um, I would I agree resolution I agree I mean I you know um, I mean it's all cliche shit but turning 50 this year and um just where I'm at, you know, I, I, I partied my ass off for years, and I did all kinds of crazy shit, and, and Tara and I have been together for almost 20 years now, and we had our ups and downs, and we just kind of settled in, both of us, and we're at a good spot, uh, we're real happy, our kids are growing up, we're doing, you know, we've squeaked by, but we're doing the right thing, so, and it's just a perspective that I have now, I just feel pretty comfortable with, with what I'm doing, um, and I, I'm happy that it, it reflects, I mean, because I can't listen to it like you do, so right. to hear that from you gives me, you know, like a little chill, like, wow, you know, because I don't, I don't hear it, I'm singing it, but it, if you're, if it's coming across to you that way, then I must be doing something right. It is, um, yeah. Also because I know a little bit about you yeah. in general, so I can kind of understand how that's coming through. But yeah. yeah, it was something that I like made a note of, which was that You know, I was, um, I mean, I've never been a big, now I partied hard, and I've, and, but I've never been a super addictive personality. Like there's been times where I just didn't do shit, and then there'd be times when I did a lot of shit, and you know, and then, um, but the one thing that did get me was the opiates. I, I, I had a little Vicodin thing after I got in a car accident in 2004. And I was prescribed it, just like everybody else. You hear the story all the time on the news, well, and the I same shit. The story, yeah, right as you know. And and I found, um, oh, I don't know how, I found out about Kratom, yeah. which is an herb. And, I mean, people have to look it up. I don't have enough details to let you know. but And I used that to get myself off opiates, and I've been clean of those for, I don't know, four or five years now. You know, so and um, and uh, that was a way for me to get off it without the doctor. I was so not against the you know suboxone and that shit. I I don't want another pill to get me off this pill that you already told me I should be taking, and I had no idea what kind of grip it had on me. And now that I don't take it, I knew I can see the difference. But I I don't want to say that I recovered from something or anything like that because I didn't. I just made a I I just made a an improvement on my life. You know. you referenced that once or twice when we talked, but uh, yeah. I can hear that in the tunes too. Also because, as I mentioned, yeah, well I you, lived through that. I sure. lost a decade of my life to yeah. the pills, and I also use Kratom regularly. Yeah, and you did? Good. I do. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, I do too, still. Um, and I'm a huge proponent of it. And a couple of us have talked about it on the podcast. I spoke at Yeah, it's, it's amazing, and, it, about it. and it's unbelievable that it's been suppressed, and they won't yeah. study it because... 
There's I mean, a lot of like it slanderous press coming. Oh, out. there's this some. One died, that, yeah. Nobody's ever I'm died from that shit. No, not that only had kratom in there. That's right, for sure. You know, there's been proven cases that 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 there was other things involved in all those deaths. So yeah, and then, but I mean, it doesn't work for everybody, and, and it's an and I it's think not that's a I think that's a truth for any kind of addiction. And like I said, I don't have a strong addictive personality to where like I ever I never really hit. I mean. I hit rock bottom in my own mind, but when I see other people's rock bottom, mine was never that far. So, um, you know, so I don't know the depths of that as like some people do. I, I, I respect that. I have a lot of friends, obviously, who are who have been there and I've worked with them through years. And uh, but I never, you know, I was always able to say, shit, I got kids now. I got to rope this shit in. And you know, I still try to like have a good time when I can, but I'm not, you know, I'm in a different space. And uh, as far as leaning on anything in my life, you know, I don't, I don't lean on anything anymore. So, yeah. and that's a, that's a relief. That's a good, good thing. You know, yeah. it's, it's a good perspective where I'm at now. I feel pretty good. I feel better than I did ten years ago. You know, at forty, for me. I felt like shit back then, and I didn't know what it was. And now I just, I'm like, you know. I'm not taking pain pills, and I'm up moving around. I'm having a great time, you know. I'm like, you know, I'm still sore when I lay down at the end of the night, but that's I mean, life. that's life. So right. yeah, but I'm pretty good, man. I'm right. happy. So that's really inspirational to hear that. And like, I didn't, you know, know that we were so closely connected on that path and that. Yeah, I don't use similar uh, means because you know I had a lot of start and stops and suboxone. I went to the doctor for yeah, and you know it successfully worked for a while, and then I found my way back. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm just over three years. Nice uh, having none of that. Shit. I have. I never went to the depths of heroin either. I mean, you know, like that. I just. I was really it just was doing pills. Step. It was the next step. Yeah. I'm sure it would have been, because I was at the point where I was buying them off the street because the doctor had cut yeah. me off, and that was. That's yeah. how it works. Yeah. And then before you know it. You, you know, my my first prescription in 2004 was for a hundred tens, a month. You know, that's a yeah. lot. That's a lot of dope, man. Well, I mean. You know, Not going off that rabbit hole, like that was through big uh, pharmaceuticals uh, companies that work, big pharma, yeah. who were like giving away prizes, like junkets, to yeah. like what doctors could write the most. And, and like, and this we were the casualties. Of the that, the like funny thing was, I was a people. classic case because it was during Katrina when it really went down oh, for me. Yeah. And I, when I went I to, sick to I, ha- I, I, it happened. I had to go to Arkansas to live for a while. And I had to w- get off of those. So there was about three week time period where I was up there and I just got dope sick like yeah. you would not believe. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? So then I finally got a doctor up there and they thought I was shopping pills. They're like, oh, right. Katrina, you know, with all the news that was going on. And I was up there looking for Vicodin, you know. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was a dark time, man. It was really dark. And yeah. I, But that was my first. And I did go through the, the withdrawals. And that was like that blew my mind i was like wait i I don't want to be taking this shit i mean really you know and you know i'm i'm pretty conscious hippie minded you know like i drink beer and stuff like that but i'm pretty conscious about what goes in my body and i you know the some of the shit that i put in there that was acceptable in my partying mind is is out of out of you know (laughs) yeah i'm right there with you so and and that's and that stuff felled the greats i mean garcia fucking prince Right, Prince. Yeah, I mean, sure. You know, so that's actually his death is what finally mm-hmm. scared me straight. Yeah, Prince. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I was on tour, and uh, I had an episode where I just got really pissed at a band member, and I hadn't been, I hadn't had that kind of rage in like in my 
system ever, you know. And the road, when you're on the road and you're lack of sleep and the truck breaks down, you got all this stress and stuff, you know, it gets to you. But I also realized that the reason why I couldn't stop the rage and the anger that I had was the, those pills. Yeah. And that's when I said, you know what, enough is enough. enough, is enough. And so I researched it and uh, my tattoo artist was like, have you ever tried Kratom or Kratom? And I was like, no, what is it? And she says, just try it while you're getting this tattoo. And I was like, okay. And I turned back, I haven't had a pill since. Yeah, I don't miss it. I mean, it's yeah. not a part of my life, but that used to be like functioning me. Like, oh, I had to have my pill. I had to have them. Yeah. Or I was in bed all day. Yeah. I know it well. So and I also found that Kratom uh, um, gave me my life back without... Like, the hardest part I found, even when I wasn't using, was the sort of looming monkey, like, maybe today, maybe no one will know, you know, like that. And, and that followed me, even, it would be, I'd be like white knuckling it. Yeah, life. sure, sure. And then eventually I'd crack and then back down the rabbit hole. But since Kratom came into my life, it just kind of scratches the itch just enough where that, like, demon's like, yeah, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. You know, and then I don't hear from it, and I go, you know. I can't remember the last time where I legitimately even thought um, about it. My wife that. used it after her mother passed. Her mother passed tragically, and uh, I that. she used it, and uh, she swears by it that it's helped her with yeah. all the depression, too. I mean, so it's worth looking into for anybody that's struggling with, like, an addiction or something like that. It is, it is natural. It's been used for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, Big Pharma's trying to yeah. uh, get a patent for the Mitrogyna speciosa so that they can put it in a pill, make what we get illegal, right. and then have a doctor write scripts. For of course it. they are. Yeah, so that's why we're up against what we're up against. Unfortunately, that's the way greed, greed has overcome the human. Pe you know, that's why the only, as a musician, you know, every night I kind of do a quick little rap of just saying, be kind to one another. You know, it's just like this this mentality that people get away from in their computer screens and televisions is 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 uh just it's not keeping us together and so you know got to find some common ground and music does that so yeah. i have that opportunity in the small that's the only thing i can do and and through my music and i, I do write about a peaceful more place than a lot of times and i'm you know and people sometimes who know me are like what, what are you writing about man you're sometimes like the most like robin hood you know type of dude and you're writing this peaceful like inspiring stuff but it's you know you gotta preach the message that you want to believe in now i'm a realistic person you're know. real yeah. I mean, you're a real cat i'm just you're trying like, to be real tell it like it is yeah for better for worse <laughs> I mean, that's what you just did for the last hour yeah and that's kind of the story of who you are that's what i hear in your music yep and you know, i got a lot of respect and admiration for you though. well i appreciate it man thank you so much yeah, i man, mean this is a great hang um, yeah i'll see you on thursday at the fairgrounds please make sure you uh always let me know what you're getting into and i'll make sure i try to let you I'm know i'm gonna do a blast on the facebook and for your, for your I like on, on the Facebook. Yeah, on yeah. The Facebook. For your, for your fairgrounds game. For yeah. the land, yeah. Please do. Yeah. Please do. Well, yeah. this is B. Getz from the Up for Life podcast with Billy Ayuso uh, during Jazz Fest 2019. I want to say thanks to Billy, thanks to the city of New Orleans, and we'll see you next time.
Yes, indeedy. I want to say thank you to my man Billy Ayuso for that thoughtful and engaging interview. Out back at his crib, uptown New Orleans, during Jazz Fest, Billy had an excellent Jazz Fest. He finished up uh, after with a sweet lanyap stage set, the fairgrounds which you mentioned, and then he opened up for the Papa Gross Funk reunion show, uh, which was at Tipitina's uh, Monday after Jazz Fest. So yeah, Billy Ayuso, the straight dope. So much obliged, and we're gonna turn the page here. Uh, this is gonna be a long episode. Uh, but uh, worth uh, your patience and attention, I'm certain. You're hearing now is my man Eric Benny Bloom, who's the next guest you're going to hear momentarily, but this is him rocking with the Adam Deitch Quartet uh, at New Orleans' own Blue Nile, owned by Jesse Page, episode 16 guest. Um, Adam Deitch Project comes through every year, and Benny's an integral part of that. And Benny has also uh, been coming to, much like Nigel Hall, an adopted son of the city of New Orleans. And that's why I'm including him in this here podcast episode. Uh, basically, uh, Benny's going to have his own feature episode. This is Billy Ayuso feature episode, obviously. But Benny's interview actually took place a little bit before Jazz Fest when they were out here in the Bay Area. Le- Lettuce, that is. Benny's main band was out here to play with John Schofield. We had the Adam Schmeen's Smirnoff interview around that time. And uh, after an absolutely otherworldly dinner at State Bird Provisions and a wine tasting with Benny and Zoid, uh, Ryan Zoidis, also of Lettuce, uh, we went to a wine tasting. Then we went to my partner Alicia's restaurant, State Bird Provisions. Check it out. Look up the reviews. It's for real. You'll hear a little bit about the dinner in the interview. But anyway, uh, it's not a full-length interview with Benny, but he has one of those coming up. Benny and my uh, feature interview for the Up for Life podcast has the potential to be one of those like two-part quest love style marathons because uh, Benny and I have an awesome, unique history. And uh, I met him when he was like standing out front of Brooklyn Bowl before like his first real show as uh, Lettuce's trumpet player. And he played a couple gigs and played with Soul Live, but he wasn't uh, wasn't the official guy yet, but he was now. And Caught up with him and some of his high school friends from Rhode Island uh, out in front of the Brooklyn Bowl, and we shared a conversation, and Benny and I have been pals ever since, and it's been absolutely incredible to behold his meteoric rise uh, with Lettuce and in the city of New Orleans, and just really awesome dude. So I want to give him his full due for a full-length episode, but... This is just sort of like a quick hitter where we touch on a couple topics du jour, such as the Schofield run, wine, and the restaurant experience we had, and uh, natural wines, or natty wines as they refer to them. A little bit about uh, Benny being a jazz cat, and uh, you know a few other treats in there we, we, we get involved, including uh, just a snippet, tad, little smidge on the forthcoming Lettuce album, Elevate, which it's now okay to officially say is coming out on June 14th, the day before Rage Rocks. So uh, Benny touches on a little bit of that. So it's a quick, like, less than 40-minute interview with Benny Bloom, kind of just planting the seed for the long-form interview that I hope to tape with him 
doubtful around Rage Rocks, but you never know. I'm going to shoot for it. Otherwise, I'll get him next time he slides to the bay, which I have no idea when that is because Lettuce's enormous Elevate Tour touches on every part of the U.S. except for the West Coast. But uh, I'm in the middle of Let Season, about to finish up Let Season with Rage Rocks, where I have uh, gotten to see like seven or eight Lettuce sets uh, over a two and a half month period. Um, so not complaining just saying that i don't know when i'm going to get to benny for the long form one but we've kind of talked it out and plotted it out so it will happen in the meantime this will have to suffice so we're going to go uh back to san francisco about a month ago five weeks ago to benny bloom and his hotel room after an amazing evening of hanging out after on the back end of four nights with sco and uh doing the lettuce gig uh, it's SF Jazz, so yeah, it's kind of a, a nice cherry on top from that experience, and I uh, want to say thanks to Benny Bloom, and he was tired and had had a long run of shows and travel and still made time for me, so thank you, Benny, and looking forward to your full feature episode, but before we dive into um, the Benny Bloom segment, I am going to cue up this awesome trumpet solo from Benny uh, that I just wanted to share uh, as sort of the roll into his interview. Uh, Benny Bloom uh, went up to Will Blades' gig, Will Blades being the organist in um, the Adam Deitch Project, and he has a standing gig here in the Bay Area for many years at an art bar called Madrone, and uh, it's like where jazz cats go to hang. And it's really, really sweet. Uh, and the boys, the whole Let crew and extended fam, such as yours truly, cruised over to Madrone on that final Sunday after the SCO gig. And Will Blades and company were absolutely crushing, as usual. And Benny, uh, along with his buddy Benny Benak III, who's like a super sick downtown New York City trumpet cat, they all like mobbed up on Will's jazz gig. So I'm going to play a one minute and change solo from uh, Benjamin Bloom on trumpet on Will Blade's jazz gig. And then we'll get into Benny's interview. And then at the conclusion of Benny's interview, I'll be back with the vibe junkie jam of the week, which I'm going to withhold until that time. You're listening to the Up for Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. And here's Benny Bloom with Will Blades. Actually, a battle with Mike Olmos from the West uh, Eddie's West Coast Sounds. (laughs) 
Park 55 Hotel, San Francisco. Uh, this is the Up for Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and I am uh, in a partial food coma with one of uh, my good buddies and the trumpet player of my favorite band and just a fantastic human being, hilarious dude, the one and only Eric Benny Bloom. Welcome to the podcast, Benny. How we doing, B.? I'm doing great, man. I mean, right now I'm sort of levitating in that in-between, kind of like uh, intoxicated by uh, the smattering of amazing wines we've tasted and also a bit bloated and almost feeling a bit roly-poly from all that fantastic uh, food we were lucky to enjoy at State Bird Provisions. Unbelievable meal. One of the top top meals I've had in <clears throat> one or two years, and I'm... And I eat a lot of food, like the rest of us, but sometimes someone goes above and beyond. And San Francisco f- has a boatload of restaurants in, 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 in the international communities and all that stuff, but it's just the best. Well, I'm glad <clears throat> we, uh, we had the opportunity to enjoy that meal together. Um, it's a bit f- humorous, but also uh, a lot of good... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good conversations, and it was a lot of a lot of a lot of drama. But it, uh, the food overshined. Yeah, it's, it was great. Yeah, and I think it was a good uh, period or exclamation point after a phenomenal uh, weekend here in San Francisco. For those, Fort, at, yeah, for those at home uh, listening, the reason that we're here in the Bay together at this <clears> moment <throat> is uh, Benny's band Lettuce uh, enjoyed <coughs> a four-night residency. Here at SF Jazz with uh, their longtime collaborator, friend, mentor, musical hero, musical hero John Schofield. Yeah. So uh, let's get a few reflections on maybe that experience because I mean you're uh, one of the I shouldn't say one of you are the you and Nigel are the newest members of Lettuce. So you sure. don't share that super youngest old, too youngest. Yep. Yeah. Most handsome. Yeah. You um, but you don't share that, uh, like, out-of-here era yeah, that's right. uh, collaboration and relationship <clears throat> with Sco. So no. maybe just talk a little bit about what, what it feels like for you. Yeah, you know, um, just uh, because me being the, uh, I have to be that guy, but, you know, I went to five colleges and I went to five colleges and uh, for jazz. Never graduated one, uh, LOL. <laughs> You're over there. No, we're switching. No, you take that. We're having a little wine here, folks. We had a little leftover for the restaurant. You know, what are you going to do? You don't leave the bottle. And we gave the waiters a taste because that's what you do. When you pour a bottle of wine, you got to make sure they they know what they're tasting, you know? Anywho. What was your favorite on the evening? Uh, Of the wines? Yeah. Um, we We drank a very beautiful 2016 Crow's Hermitage... Uh, wine from the uh, northern uh, northern Rhone. Uh, it's a Syrah. That's the uh, grape, and um, it's like you know, it's not Burgundy, it's not Bordeaux. It's this other region called Cote de Rhone, which you all know a little bit, and it's the Syrah grape, and it's just great, beautiful granite soils, and just a really expressive and unbelievable classic wine, and 
When you can get it not too expensive, you buy it. Anyway, let's talk about some music. Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, let's, we'll come back to some other. <clears throat> yeah, we'll be. Trust me. I hope, I hope you guys will care. I hope this is a good for you. Yeah. So, John Schofield, we all love John Schofield. He's a jazz legend. Played with Miles Davis, played with everybody. He is the most famous. Ski is Eric Krasno's favorite guitar player. Phil Lesh came to the last show. I mean, you can't find a more legendary, influential guitar player. And we all know that in the band Lettuce, and we know that everyone, uh, you know, when the Grateful Dead comes to see John Schofield, you have to, you got to know about it. So, um, you know, um, Schofield is the, is a man, and I'm a jazz dude more than the rest of the dudes in the band, except for Deitch, and, but um, <clears throat> that's what I do. Uh, I did for a long time, you know. Where Zoidus and Schmeens are funk experts, and I'm funky, and Nigel too, rather. They're all funk experts, and Jesus too. But they know jazz, but they don't, you know, whatever. That's how it goes. People know certain things a little That's more. That's your language. That's my language, and so is funk, but it's, you know. They are really legends in that sense, and that's no exaggeration. So, uh, but out of the four-day run, we did a SF Jazz, the famous jazz, beautiful, like, modern venue created, like, you know, listening room and, like, concert hall. Like, one of the greatest venues I've ever played in my life. Top five. Wow. Yeah. So. Just the vibe. The beautiful, you know, uh, all the all the windows outside you can see in the venue. They have a secondary venue that you can see off the street. It's 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 unbelievable. I've never seen a lot of money. Yeah. And the best in the world play there now. No, in no place in New York has that, you know, or anywhere else. So Sko was great. He's the man. We started off the evenings playing a couple letter songs and then had him up for the Schofield portion where he played his original music, which are songs that we grew up listening to is on his pivotal albums that we got to like. You know, nothing off the go-go Martin Medusky Wood, which is everyone's, I would imagine, turning point. I, I, I was extremely influenced by that album and played and covered those yeah. songs along with a bunch of Soul Live songs back in the day. That was my introduction to John. Yeah, you know. it, it, as uh, actually me too. To be honest, no, yeah. close. But yeah, but and, anyway, um, and then the other album, then the next one, the big one was Uber Jam with right. frickin' Adam Deitch, you know, our, our my boss and <laughs> our best friend. He loves to call him boss, you know. And <clears throat> yeah, so then he would do his songs, three of them, and then we would do letter songs with Schofields. Which is amazing to hear the music that you make every night. You know, like you know, I didn't write it, but Dietrichines or Zoid or Di- um, Jesus. You know, so it's just a really cool experience to see Schofield on different levels. And then you know, because he's one of the greatest soloists in the entire world. You know, you just open up the floodgates for him, and you know he's done so much. It's like, go ahead, bro, just. You solo on whatever you like. I get to solo on this music all the time. We all do. So let's hear what he did on it. And uh, the highlight for me, I guess, was, uh, I guess, the last night. It's funny. Just so you know, in life, it's the same same crap. You have a great day. I guarantee you tomorrow won't be the same. And it might be worse. It should be worse. And then maybe the day after, it'll get great again. It's just like if you, you know, we all have to have that yin and yang. And if you look for it in your life, I think you'll find it. But... Um, the first night was really good. Second night was cool. Third night was like, okay. 
and the fourth night was magical. Maybe I might have the order not exactly right, but I know the for me the fourth night was magical. It's funny. It's mm. like you think it's the last night, so you, you know, just because you're. It's funny when you're creating music, but even though you you're a part of it, right? Because you're right. creating it, but you're also like looking at someone like B Gets, you know, the Up for Life, Mister. You know, he's out there in the audience, but he's enjoying. He's reacting to what you're making, but how your reaction influences your next musical decision. Like, did you like it? Should I do that again? Should I move on? So, uh, and my girlfriend was there for most of the nights, Lisa Hess, wherever you are. Hello. We love you, Lisa. Oh, you're so nice, B. So, it was a great uh, run. But the last night for me, I, I gave up all my whatever, I, my inhibitions, and I was like, I'm having fun, and it's cool. Yeah, it was like the, the, the second and fourth nights are the best for me. But everyone, it's funny. I talked to Shemines, I talked to Deitch from Lettuce, and I'm like, but like after the gig, we're like, how was the gig? And then it's like, Shemines is like, yeah, it was a great gig. And then Deitch is like, I played like crap or something. And then I'm like, well, I had a great gig. It's, I, I, if I have a good show, like technically, if I didn't crack notes, if I had a good solo, then I'm like, great night. But if I did not do those things, I'm like, bad night. But then the ensemble can play well together and communicate correctly. Right. So it's a good night. Collectively. Collectively, which is the, the reason why What's we're here. Right. But I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a trumpet player. I'm a I'm very self, you know, it's a selfish situation. Uh, it can be because if, because you feel like you can, if you start cracking a bunch of notes. Because people hear that crack. You know, yeah. it's when you think people... Are, are, are you know like you know they listen hard and you're like oh man they heard it but they're like no I didn't I didn't hear it so but out of the it was a beautiful run and I, it's gonna be more John was so happy we might do a bunch of Europe stuff I, I asked about Newport Jazz Festival that sounds awesome yeah so yeah man I, I feel like um, well I mean all four nights had a merit and you yeah, know in totally. one way or another and and you know, Saturday night it was when you're like, uh, was okay. It was there was a, a lot of good individual performances that mm-hmm. night, you know. But like Schmeens was great, and Deitch was not, you know, beyond human. But maybe yeah. collectively. Oh, the third, the third night. Yeah, yeah Deitch really. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, like, he, he really he went. He, you know, he gets. Yeah, he just. He was possessed. Sometimes he just reminds people like, yo, I, I'm, I, I can play. Let's, yeah, you know, because we saw. We went that second night after we went and saw Keon Harold and Charles Haynes, the famous drummer sure. that we that he grew up listening to in, in, in college, and he was so killing. And whenever you go to see a great get to see a great musician, you come back the next day charged. Right. And that's what and everything. If you go have a great meal and you're a chef, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, but it was just a really great run in general and uh we have some more stuff in the books and uh Really looking forward to doing more stuff for them, and the whole band is happy too. So it was a great run. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of communication going on up there, nonverbal communication. You know, we always plant ourselves right in front of the horns, but I could kind of see down the front of the stage from one end to the next, mm-hmm. with the exception of seeing really Schmeens behind uh, Sco. You could see everybody communicating, and and there was just uh, a lot of really good energy on stage and. I think that was also like carrying over from the Vibe Up tour, which was uh, February, March of this year with mm-hmm. Lettuce, and you did some dates with Ghost Note, you did some in the evening with Lettuce, two set shows, uh, a lot of these are available to be heard on your page on nugs.net, should anyone want to hear them, but 
maybe reflect on how exceptional the most recent tour is and, and you know, just the state mm-hmm. of the union with lettuce right now, which is just a golden age, if you will. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's having Neil gone, which is our, our man, and we love him, but uh, he decided to, you know, it was, it was enough. It was, he served his time in the lettuce camp, and... Uh, and Nigel, who sang for years, it was now started to play keyboards with Neil. So it was two keyboard error, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, it was great. I look at that as a really special. And if that continued, where we, you know, what it would be now, I th- would be unbelievable. But Neil, you know, Neil left, um, and Nigel now had a full chance to really do his thing. And now Nigel's, you know, he's an amazing keyboardist. It's funny what, you know, and I get it, but he really is an unbelievable pianist and uh, and he's an amazing singer too, so people just don't know. They think he's a great singer, they don't know he's a great keyboard player, but Nigel is just a really special and knowledgeable musician and now that having him full-time has really just got this band rocking and he's on the next the next album we're coming out with it i believe it's called elevate or vibe i'm not sure which which name they decided to go with it's either one but it'll be coming out june 14th the new record and uh right before red rock the day before red rock so that'll really you know make red rock special and so it's you know unbelievable um to have nigel in the band full time and and uh, so he's singing some great shit on the record, a couple tunes. We have, um, and you know, this is the first record without Rashawn, the original cello player. Who, well, not the original, but the guy that stepped in halfway through their career, or whatever. And uh, so it's just like the the band, the the lineup, and you know, no crowds on this record. It's just all the, the dudes you see on tour. So it's a great um, representation of the band and the vibe out tour. It's not the first tour without Neil, because I think we've done... Oh, yeah. yeah I think yeah. we did a fall tour without Neil. I think that yeah. was it, you know. But this particular tour, we just we have all this new music that's going to be on the new album we're playing. Deitch continually, continuously writes new stuff that we're playing that he just, like, makes you rehearse in a sound check, and then you're playing that stuff on the gig. So... Um, it was just great. You know, we're all at, operating on all cylinders... No one's getting too fucked up or not drinking too much or any bullshit like that. I am. I'm drinking. But I'm drinking good wine, so I'm not, like, hammered, <laughs> you know. And uh, the band is just not firing on all cylinders. We have a lot of... We have a crap ton of tunes from old to new. And we're really playing varied set lists, meaning just all, you know, a great smattering of the classics plus the new stuff. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's really... It's really good. We're doing really good in that last tour, and uh, we have another tour coming up. Um, after we finish this one, we did four days in San Francisco. We go to Seattle for three days, which is awesome, at a jazz club, kind of like a Blue Note of Seattle, the triple door. And then we do a nice uh, end in Portland, and, which is great. And then we do a little thing in Swanee, which you're coming, yeah. I believe. Swanee Rising, April 4, 5, 6. You guys are on April 5, 6. That's right. And um, and then it's Jazz Fest, of course, for the Rage Fest, which is going to be great. And then uh, then we have our festivals, and we're doing a thing at the Capitol Theater, you know. Four twenty. Four twenty. They just added Sco to that. I saw. Yeah, we did. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. I found out. I'm like, oh. 
And then we have, um, then we have, what do you call it? Then we have our great jazz fest, and then summer festivals. Yeah, so it's, it, things are going good. I can't wait for the album to come out. Um, Me either. It's, uh, it's been a long time. And, uh, I actually hate playing songs. Because Deitch and Schmidt in particular, I'm sure the rest of the band too, they get bored and, and they're playing these songs for 20-something years. So when they write all this new music and they record it, it's like, man, I want to play those tunes. And I get it, but it's like you're giving away the public. Now they know these songs. Before the album comes before out. Before the album comes out. But and we've that, watched them grow. Like that, uh, the which is from 2016 was like skeletal. You exactly. Know, you Halloween in 2016. Now Trap That's is right. grandiose, multi-parts. And I love that. But I also I imagine if the first time you heard this song was when on the record, and then all of a sudden... Two years later, you see in another area. I mean, I guess there's two ways to think about it, for sure. But I, I love sneaking some stuff, play it. But every single time you see us, I don't want you to be able to see that. You know, I, I, I know, I have a different approach. Like I, I love the here's my new stuff. Check right. it out. But um, it's like now that when when you hear the original now, the live versions, I feel like they're gonna really, you know, not crush it, but they're different. Right. So it's like. You're gonna love it, but the sound of the, of the record, the, the money we spent on it, the the engineer Russell yeah, Lovato, who Russ. is Russell Lovato, yeah, Russell Lovato, is the um, is you know analog versus digital and recording and, and sound. You know, you have all digital, which is all plugins and all of these uh, computer and you know it's we all know about like you know MP3s versus vinyl. Mm-hmm. And Russ is the one of the last analog um, engineers of all time, you know, modern. And he recorded D'Angelo's records, Voodoo, Brown Sugar, uh, Eric Abad, Eric Abad, Black Messiah, Eric mm. Abadu. He really had a hand in the neo soul movement yeah. for sure. Uh, Roy Hargrove. The list goes on. It's unbelievable. And. Um, He's like, how did, how did you make that happen? It's Zo- uh, you know, Zoidus and Schmeens and Deitch, you know, I think you know the uh, Zoidus did a soul live record back. You know, Russ is a, a New York. He's from the Bronx. He's from Staten Island. And every you know, if you're in the scene, you know about him. And I believe Soul Live, or is it, um, what's his name, Zoidus with the rustic overtones, recording a record back in the day, and and I think it was D'Angelo was recording the, his yeah. record at the same time, the same studio. Yeah, Zoid, him. And another uh, studio A, studio B. Right. So they got to hang out and go over like and hang out and smoke weed and do all the shit. And it's just so you know. So anyway, but Russ is he knows him. You know, there were New York. Let's a bunch of New York boys. You know, or Connecticut. You know, Kraz and. What's his face? Uh, you know, Deitch and they're all New York kind of dudes, and well, so that really like you know they've been around, so they know Russ. Russ is a famous dude, and it's a great thing. So finally, they were like, you know, they got the thing together, and now uh, Russ would be like, "Hey, we want you to do the record," and they were like, oh, "He's like so happy." He's like, "Dude, I'm so happy. You asked me. I, I'm waiting for you to do a record with us." And then the boys are like, "You kidding me? That's amazing. We've been." So anyway, it's it's great to have a legend. We're very lucky, and uh, he said yes, and now um, 
it went great. No, he wasn't. You know, he didn't. He did what he did with what he did with it is is beautiful. It's You're not like on the oh, we're super stoked. The, yeah, and the it, fabric of the sound. It's just know? thick, natural, warm, dark, super warm, and it just yeah. If you listen to all the other records, we had Joel Hamilton who did right. Pretty Lights and all that. You know, whatever the you know who makes things dirty and cool, which is cool. But like you know. Russ didn't really do much to us. He just let us do our thing. Right. It's like, we sounded good enough. He's like, he can't really... It's like, he said to me, he's like, I work with a lot of bands where I have to change their sound. They're just playing one groove forever. And I got to make it sound cool. You guys have all this stuff going on. I, don't, I just got to sit back now. Right. So I was really impressed by that. And uh, when I heard it, and then he mastered... Well, when it got... when. They got mastered by Bob Lug- Ludwig, one of the most famous. He's done, like, some of the most famous. Look him up. He's the most famous mastering engineer in the entire country. Wow. Fact. More than Fact. Bob Power. Yeah, I, I think so. Wow. That's funny. They're both Bobs. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, we got a, this is the greatest recording team we've ever had. And the music is worth it because, you know, you've heard the songs, you know, I've most of them. I've heard snippets. I mean, I've heard all the songs, but I've only heard snippets of the record. Apparently, I'm, I'm going to hear it soon. Yeah. But uh, when I was walking with some of the Jesus and Zoid, and they were playing it on a little pill, you little know, like speaker. a little speaker. Yeah. And I just thought it was I was Larimar, which I didn't know at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I was like, yo, you guys should cover this. This is some shit. I thought it was like some 74, <laughs> just, you know, Dominican funk, if you will. That's right. right. So, but I didn't know that it was actually that. You know, I, yeah. just, I just thought it was some old shit. It sounds and it's like, so yo, this classic. Because Russ, right? That's Russ. That gives it that antique vintage. Because he's using the old way where records are recorded. And yeah. that's a big deal. Especially for your kind of music with all the layers we're, we're, and that, all the space and the synths mm-hmm. and stuff, you need that. Uh, you can't have a digital sound. No, and and that's and these boys in the band, they they know, and including myself, we all know the older music. We know that stuff, and right. and we're that band that knows that stuff better than most people. So we we're doing that old music plus our new sound. Yeah, and it's really a great combination and constantly changes and uh the guys in the band are so steeped in knowledge and past recordings that it's it's just shame it's you don't want to be around like if you're if you think you know what's going on you have we're really novices compared to the guys in the band they know so much about the old stuff right from the hip-hop the golden age of hip-hop to real funk uh and everything in between it's just it's 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 real yeah. And it's great to be around those guys. You learn so much, and and that's what that's the, one of their main deals is that that's the you know, it's their knowledge, and that's what they're passing on to us. So I'm happy to be in the crew for sure. Yeah, man, and uh, you also, um, along with Nigel, are both living in New Orleans for some time now. That's right. I've been there about five years. Right, and. Uh, you know, we're about to go back to Jazz Fest, which is a blessed time every year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you do your one gig uh, with Lettuce, the mm-hmm. Rage Fest, which is always a great time. And, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of other things going on. And uh, besides, you know, Lettuce, if you will, uh, in New Orleans. And, and I think that as somebody who's kind of been, been a, I would admit that you've been adopted by the city of New Orleans. Like sure, they claim sure. you as one of their own, even though you're from Rhode Island. Exactly. Right? <laughs> That's um, for sure. And then, like, last night, you know, you did the 
the late night jazz hit with Will Blades and his team, yeah. and, and you had a someone you described yourself as like a, a trumpet phenom from New York oh, City, Mike, jazz phenom. Oh, uh, Benny, Benny Benack. Benack. Right. Come on around. So, what I want to say is, uh, or ask you about is just uh, outside of Lettuce, um, you know, are you still stimulated by jazz music and playing New Orleans music in New Orleans or meeting up with a guy like Benny last night and playing, I wouldn't call that a straight ahead gig you did with Will, but it wasn't Close. funk. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that, was, yeah, that, that side of you, because you said it in the beginning of the interview, you're a jazz guy. You know, yeah, I have, I have major jazz roots. Are you are you still a jazz guy? Uh, I don't play as much as I'd like to, but yeah, of course you'll never not be what you came up as. But yeah, I mean, I, I play a lot of jazz in New Orleans. I get to play with Ellis Marsalis and Stanton Moore and or whatever. I get to I play a lot of jazz, you know. And that term is a fucked up term. Yeah, let's talk about that. You brought it up last night, though. Yeah. Nicholas uh, Payton's been kind of trying to wake wake the town about that. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, jazz. Is it's, instead of jazz is really J A S S, which means like it was a racist racist term and like the them boys and their jazz behavior, like they're like it's a rude, fucked up thing. Like you know it's like it's it, you know it's like for black people it was like a thing you'd say against black people, which is horrible. And then they changed to J A Z Z and Paul Whiteman, famous you know, is called was dubbed the king of jazz. And it was a white guy. Funny enough, he's white. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's a black music. It's literally a black music. And, and white people appropriated it. And it's whatever. It's, it's, not, it's not cool, but... Um, that's what happens. That's what happens. And uh, and people just don't know that, like, the term... So, like, you know, jazz is, 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 a, is a, a bad term. Derogatory. It's a derogatory term. And 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 then they change the letters, and they and the white guy made it famous. So now all of a sudden it's 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 cool. And even guys like Sidney Bechet, um, Duke Ellington, Max Roach, so many of the um, uh, black American musicians that have who created that music don't identify with that term. And they're like, we play, we play black American music. We play Afri It's 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 an African American, right. the only American art form. But especially african-american and and it jazz is now that the term is just too far usable it's like record labels they put right. a label on shit and then they and then they sell records by that that's what it's been happening we all know this and, well, nick payton saying that and, nick and, payton and, right the, is that happening elsewhere outside of new orleans is that no, that line not of really, thinking not really it's native to him? Not jazz you know that kind of music started in new orleans of course and, and nicholas, nicholas payton's dad is a very famous He's passed, and he's a very famous bass player, extremely famous. And uh, Nick Payton is the greatest trumpet player to come out of New Orleans, besides Winton Marsalis and Louis Armstrong. And he's one of the greatest in the world, and he's a good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, when someone that you grew up listening to has an extremely strong opinion opinion, and is correct, you, you listen to that, you know. Yeah. It's not my music. I'm playing it. I make a lot of money from it. I make some money from it. So, uh... Anyway, just just so all of you know, you know, jazz is a term that we use because it's it, it's it's accepted, but it's really a an origin of a racist term. So I try not to say jazz, but what do you say? You you can say black American music, but I also play funk, and that's black American music. I play blues, that's black American. You know, the list goes on. So just for now, I'm saying the word jazz, but it's it's horrible. So anyway. I, I I agree. I'd love to see it. It's a it's a cool con. Power, yeah, it's you know, a weird. Word. 
now that we know the origins yeah. of it, it's a weird thing. And and I've been calling it, you know, swing, because swing music, we're swinging, right? Right. But that swing is, like, also a term of, like, it's like boom, buck a boom, buck. It's, like, cheesy. It's, like, old school swing. Right. That's, like, but, you know, it's... Kind of yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, anyway, bottom line is that, yeah, I play a lot of, you know, swinging, jazz-oriented music, and I, I love, I try to do as much as I can in New Orleans, and... Nigel's not in that shit. He's never been really into that. He loves not it, jazz. and you know, yeah, not he's jazz in particular. Stuff, right? Yeah, he's yeah, that's he's he's jazz. he, he it's plays. New Orleans, it's no one. Yeah, that's the old rhythm and blues, which is where you know rhythm and blues really came from New Orleans. That's it's yeah, R and B music is rhythm and blues, but it's yeah. a Fats Domino, um, a lot of other names that we don't know about, like Lloyd Price and right. Smiley Lewis and all this stuff that we shouldn't know about. Little Richard. <clears throat> who's not from New Orleans, recorded all of those hits at the studio in New Orleans. So actually, all of those, like, Good Golly Miss Molly and all those hits, it's not, yeah, Good Golly Miss Molly, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's all in New Orleans. It's funny what you don't know came from New Orleans and really came. It, it was recorded there. One of the biggest recording studios of all time. They record all the Art, ne uh, not Art, yeah, Art Neville, right. Art Aaron Neville, Tell It Like It Is, all of the stuff we like. So... It's great to be in New Orleans in a, in, a, in, a, in a very black city playing that kind of music, playing jazzy stuff, playing swing, playing, you know, all the like the meter stuff, playing Neville stuff, playing. There's just so much music that comes out of New Orleans and it's great to be. I love that stuff. And I and I feel I've I've always loved it and I identify with it. So it's great to be down there. Nigel's not really into all that shit, even though he knows other things. But he He's from D.C., a very gritty American, black American city. So he, he fits right in. He loves the vibe of New Orleans, and he's extremely the most soulful dude we know. And uh, so, yeah, I'm down there, and I'm, I, 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 when I'm home, I just generally just cook. You know, when I play so much music with lettuce, it's very intense, so I try to chill. And I try to play little ballads and quiet gigs and stuff like that, you know. I try not to go to the Maple Leaf every week and the Blue Nile and Rage and just you know, they're partying out there. They're just, you know, it's a beautiful, it's a great vibe in New Orleans. Anytime on a Tuesday, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, so I try to just chill and, and uh, do my thing, but... You got a straight-ahead group, right? Yeah, I have a straight-ahead group. Have I have Eric Benny Bloom in the Melody as well as straight-ahead group, and then I have Benny and the Late Bloomers, which is my, my like, you know, doing, like, R&B and all funky kind of stuff, and I'm singing, and it's the Benny Bloom show. That's the group you want to see, but... And what's the Sonic Bloom? The Sonic Bloom has, has been renamed as Benny and the Late Bloomers, because okay. of the festival in Colorado, yeah, Sonic I've Bloom. Yeah, and it's, you know, just too much. It's it's too confusing, so it's Benny and the Late Bloomers, and I'm putting an EP out before right. the latest record. Oh, yeah? I'm getting it mixed <clears throat> by Ari Raskin, oh, who man. did Live in show. Tokyo and yeah. Out of Here. Yeah. So, um, you know, because, like, I'm so busy with lettuce, and I'm also starting a wine business we'll talk about later yeah. or at some point of the podcast, and uh, I'm really busy. So when I'm home, I want to hang out with my girlfriend and be a normal yeah. human and, and gig a little bit. But, like, I'm, after this tour, I'll be home for four days. I go about Swanee, and then I'm back for, like, three weeks, and it's Jazz Fest. Right. And then we go on and do, oh, it's just, you know, it's so busy. Ends. Yeah, it never ends. So I'm not trying to go and take this... Benning the late bloomers thing all over America because I'm just so busy and just trying to work while you're home. Yeah, so what I, I want to make more money with the group at home. Right, less I wanna, overhead. Less overhead, less go, going on around. You know, I'm already. You know, Zoida said to me once, "It's fucked up," but he's like, 
you're already with the best funk group in the country. Like, what, are you going to make another group and go on the road with it? Put your energy in that? It's like, put your energy in lettuce. And I'm like, good point. Yeah. You know, it's fucked up. It's all, you know, I, I see what he's saying, but uh, that's why I'm like, you that's know. That's what they used to tell Jerry, the rest of the dead. And that fucked up. And then he just wanted to do Jerry Band A because he could keep the check. And B, and it's, it's and he made it different. Fun work for him. And and if you listen, like, you know, what's it, Mer, what's his face? Uh, not Merle. Merle Seals? Merle Saunders? Yes. That shit is some of the hippest, yeah. funkiest combination music we've heard ever. And so it's like, yeah, when someone's like, dude, trust me, don't do that. It's like, dude, fuck you. Yeah. So I know, me and Zoe are the best friends. I love that motherfucker. He's my big influence. He's my big brother. Uh, but yeah, I always take, he's uh, not a grain of salt, but no, I, I, I always, he's always right. He really is generally always right. That's the sad thing. Oh, uh, Almost. He's a wise man for sure. He's a good I've noticed man. that through the years. But uh, yeah, so I um, yeah, so we'll see. But this jazz fest is gonna be great. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait to see your poster. Oh my gosh. Yeah. A lot of gigs. I have 18 this year. That's amazing. What's the name of the EP? Uh, who's partying? Nice, perfect. <laughs> I need a shirt. Yeah. It'll be some gear. All right. Well, you can count me in. There you go. Well, you mentioned the wine, man. Okay. We just do this. This. Uh, this interview here is going to be kind of like the here and now. So we talk about Sco, we talk about the new Lettuce album, we mm -hmm. talk about Jazz Fest. Yep. And the, uh, we'll keep it present. Then we're going to do a real re rewind when we've got a sure, hour sure. or two. We can talk about your path, how you got here. But oh, the yeah. latest news in the world of Benny Bloom and the Shady Horns mm -hmm. is the uh, wine endeavor that you referenced earlier than that, you know, we talked about at length throughout the course of today. Yeah, yeah, you've heard about it. Let's pull the cork from that bottle <laughs> and talk about it. That's pretty good, bro. You like that? I wish You're I had good. a kick drum and a cymbal. Uh, but did you know, uh, quickly, people, you know, <laughs> you know, it, I'm starting a business. If um, There are importers and they bring the wine in from other countries and then there's a distributor who sells the wine in one state only. So I've decided on Colorado is a great state and uh, we love it. We're, we have a lot of fans there and... Um, they're still drinking very normal wines and eating steaks all day. A lot of that kind of vibe. But it's also in Colorado, it's very healthy. We have people that are hiking all day. They're doing yoga all day. They're eating beautiful kale salads. They're, you know, uh, smoking organic legal weed. But they're drinking shitty conventional wines with, full of chemicals and sulfites and vineyards that are sprayed. And, and people don't see the difference and you can taste the difference so when you taste these organic biodynamic wines that just aren't sprayed and messed with and nothing is added and you know it's 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 some real stuff it's like we all do this with weed we want the best stuff why would we not want it with alcohol we try to get the best alcohol with like you know great whiskey but then when it comes to wine we're like oh cool i don't like white i don't like white i don't like red it's uh, you know it's like you none of us know what we like it's like you think you like you don't like fish until you have great fish right so me and ryan zoidis decided to open up sauvage selection sauvage in french means wild like savage mm -hmm. but sauvage because they're french <laughs> and uh sauvage selection so we're going to start this distribution company representing some really great uh european um importers I mean, he's in, he's in, he's based in New York, but and then some great California and Oregon producers as well, and uh, we'll be you know I'm essentially a wine wine salesman, which is hilarious. I just like good oh, stuff. 
I like good wine. R Ryan brought me my, when I played at Pretty Light Sea, brought me my first bottle of natural wine. It's called natural wine because, you know. And uh, it was really cool just to have a um, have a thing like that, you know, to have a, 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 a product that is so cool and different. And uh, it really influences you. It's like when you have great weed or great, you know, great alcohol or great any substance that great tea, you know, really high quality water. Things make you feel a great meal. It makes you feel different. It's charged with energies. You can't not say that, you know. And uh, when you have certain wine, it's a very light extraction beautiful like light-bodied red and i walked on stage i was like high as a motherfucker it's not like it's like a high high but you just charged in energy and i played the fuck out of that show and it was awesome and every time i try to always do that now and i'm like where can i get that again you know it's not like drinking a vodka fucking soda it's not like drinking some whiskey or some bullshit. It's drinking a really organic product made by a farmer who cares for it every day for like nine months. It's like, you know, we're, we're ridiculous. You know, you think you don't like, I don't like white wine because it's sweet. You know, like, <laughs> and it's like, because you had shit white wine your whole life. It's not supposed to be like that. And so that's, we just, you know, I play a lot of music and I, I'm always doing something. And I like to be, I like to have a little, well, you know, we all like to get loose a little bit. You know what I mean, people? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> Thank you. So, anyway, so I love wine. I love really good wine that's not super expensive, but done correctly, done by the right person, done for the right reasons. And you can really feel it, and it will influence whatever you're doing at the time. Generally for the better. And you won't get a hang, I swear, unless you're drinking eight bottles but there's no sulfites or generally low sulfites which make people break out give people stomach problems skin rashes you can't sleep it's headaches the next day drink a bottle of shitty shitty napa cab cab savignon from napa valley and wake up the next morning and then see how you feel right we've all done that and they're like that's the last time i'm drinking red wine and i agree so that's why we started on this quest and now we're starting a company representing some of the greatest producers that do this. And they're all major music fans and they're fucking cool. They all love the dead. One of my famous f favorite winery who's um, representing is a major dead fan. And we heard the lock-in performance from Lettuce. He was like, you know, when, they're, they're, when they pick the grapes, they have the headphones on. And what do you think they're listening to? They're listening to Lettuce. Yeah. And other like stuff. Picking the weed and the weed there in. you go. And when you're finding out that you're, it's the same thing with weed, great correlation, You, your energy picking that and doing it and making it grow and, and the sound waves that are actually hitting these plants and this, you know, not the same with the wine because sound waves are hitting the wine, but if you're playing music in like a grow house and stuff, oh, it, yeah, that you, you could do that. The there you go. So that's some real stuff and... It really affects that, and as they're picking it, and their energy, and then when they're in the winery, vinifying the wine and like pressing the wine, and then putting in the bottles, you know, they're playing our music, and they're influenced. Their decisions are influenced by our music, and I'm going on stage being influenced by their wine. I'm literally charged by their wine, so it's like this homogenous, like it's a real thing, 
and people don't you, you know nor should anyone know what goes into it but that's what really happens so we're like yo you love me like no i love you wait wait no chill so it's like now that i get to represent some of these people it's like and when you try the wine i mean you you prick me on all night yeah. you don't drink much yeah. And you drank a shit ton of wine. Yeah, I'm, and and I'm you're right and now. you're still doing an interview. Right. And you're you sound more coherent than me. Yeah. Well, I had a little more. But you're right. You, you, I did consume. And you will not have any usual, and I'm okay. Yeah. So and, and and yeah. So that's. I'm gonna say we all spend money on alcohol. It's just time to spend the same amount of money on better alcohol. Yeah. So look out for Sauvage selections only in Colorado. You can find my wine at many liquor stores and many restaurants. And just remember that name, folks. LOL. <laughs> okay, whatever. Right on, Benny. Well, that's an exciting thing for you and Zoid and the fact that, you know, your partner is on the stage and now you're business partners. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing. a good thing. friend of yours, so I wish you all the best in Thank you, the man. endeavor. And, uh very much looking forward to Swanee uh, in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Jazz Fest after that. Lettuce Record. Lettuce Record. And Red, Red Rocks. Rocks. Yeah, this is the a season of lettuce abundance for us. Right That's now. right. So, um, yeah, this is a, a nice 40-minute uh, chat that we had. So why don't we pull up stakes for uh, part one, and we'll pick it up in Florida in a couple of weeks. We got it. We'll, part two coming at you. Yeah, man. Up for life. That's where we're at. Thank you, baby. Yeah, signing off from the Park 55 Hotel uh, with Eric Benny Bloom. And we'll see you next time. short little interview there back in San Fran a few weeks back and again looking forward to the full length with you down the road along with other members of Lettuce of course looking forward to that Rage Rocks extravaganza and album release for Elevate the day before Um, but now we're going to move on to the uh, Vibe Junkie Jam of the week and you're hearing in the background the Nth Power and Friends doing their Marvin Gaye tribute from New Orleans Jazz Fest a couple weeks back and uh, I thought a lot of ways I was going to do it I'm just going to play an extended triple encore from this show after 5am or right at about 5am seems like that's the time when shit is really cooking in that town but uh, yeah basically 
gonna just let it ride out, including some touching words from Nigel and Nikki K. Casarino and some humor from Nikki Glaspie and the original band with Weedy and Nigel uh, doing an absolutely ridiculous sexual healing. And then uh, the big band rejoins them and they do uh, Heard It Through the Grapevine and then um, what did they finish with? Oh yeah, Heavy Love Affair. So I'm going to just read a passage from my article um, to kind of explains why I'm choosing this for the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week, and then I'm going to play the triple encore from the Time to Get It Together tribute, the Nth Power and Friends do Marvin Gaye. This is from my article uh, on Live for Live Music called Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing, Baby. Uh, love letter to New Orleans Jazz Fest 50. You can check that out on Live for Live Music. But as it pertains to the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week, quote, Nikki Glaspie was a force of nature once again in this year's annual The Nth Power Tribute at One-Eyed Jacks, an awe-inspiring homage to Marvin Gaye titled Time to Get It Together. This show was possibly the most emotionally driven musical experience in a fortnight chock full of them. Bringing together a collective of musicians to dig deep into Marvin's canon, the squad featured Weedy Brema, Nigel Hall, Phantom Vanity's Aaron Boyd, trombonist Paul Robeson from the Soul Rebels, uh, Steve Lands on trumpet, saxophonist Brian McNamara, Star Kitchen keyboardist and longtime Nth co-conspirator Rob Marsher, as well as vocalist Krishira Perrier and Kayla Jasmine, the core trio of Glassbeat, bassist Ned Nate Edgar and guitarist frontman Nicholas Casarino were treated to a special appearance towards the end from lettuce trumpet maestro Eric Benny Bloom. How appropriate. Nothing could prepare any of us for the tear-jerking, whiskey-swilling journey into the annals of Jazz Fest voodoo magic that we witnessed at one Eye Jack's Long Into the Night. The swollen massive careened through Marvin's funkier deep cuts transitioned into the bigger hits as the evening blazed on. Merely 20 minutes in, Hall and Casarino removed their sport coats in unison, a clear indicator that shit was about to get real. Nigel, seated at the roads at the front of the stage next to Casarino, continued to turn around and face Glaspie at her drum seat, each and every time she stunned the audience with soprano tones. That's my baby! Hall would Ex repeatedly exclaimed, and the whole room trusted he meant it. The vibrant ensemble continued to scale the clouds, making lovers of us all, one luscious track after the next. Ain't nothing like the real thing. Ain't no mountain high enough, complete with multi-layered harmonies and vocal workouts taking us to church and back again. By the time they returned, imbibed and inspired for the undeniable triple encore that you're about to hear, the heavenly haymakers nearly leveled One-Eyed Jacks to its foundation. The air was thick, and the vibes even thicker, as the five original members of the Nth Power dropped into a positively orgasmic sexual healing that froze the entire room in its tracks while dozens of pairs of panties hit the floor at one time. Presiding over this mouth-watering glory was none other than darling Nikki, ever the evangelist, holding it down and hitting all the high notes like only this empress can. The good reverend doctor, Nigel Hall, and the master prophet, 
Nikki Cake took turns talking some things out on stage, while the whole band somewhat aggressively passed a bottle around the horn. Then, somehow, they managed to dig even deeper. During a filthy grapevine finale that made its way through Nth's classic Jazz Fest 420, they exploded into heavy love affair, manifested in the form of a salacious DC go-go joint. This final transmission saw Benny Bloom pop into the mix to get busy on trumpet, and the rest of the big band followed suit as they passed the solo around one more time, with feeling, bringing back that district swagger time and again. In a city and festival overwrought with tribute shows, the Nth Power delivers second to none each and every year down at the Jazz Fest. Ring the alarm! We've got another instant classic on our hands. Astonishing how many times they can return to the well, yet always be finding forever. End quote. So without any further ado, here's the Nth Power Triple Encore from the Marvin Gaye Tribute at one Eye Jacks. Jazz Fest 50. You're listening to the Up for Life podcast, and I'm your host, B. Getz, and we'll see you next time.
struck by all the Jews in Africa.
Thank you. 